Ole Miss receives its latest notice of allegations. It has banned itself from the 2017 postseason. We will get into that on this edition of The Audible. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Uh, Bruce, it was just the last episode, I believe, that I was saying that it's a dead time in February. We're scrounging for things to talk about. Pretty big news dropped on Wednesday. Yeah, so um, Ole Miss had about a 20-minute YouTube video with the chancellor of the school and the AD, Ross Bjork, as well as Hugh Freeze, outlining what the notice allegations are. Uh, the, the, to me, the, the two biggest takeaways off the top were one that they are sanctioning, self-sanctioning a postseason ban for this coming season, uh, and two, the lack of institutional control that is also connected to Hugh Freeze, the head coach. And that puts him in serious jeopardy there going forward. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you right off the top before we get into what all this means, You've spent a lot of time yourself in Oxford, Mississippi, and around a program. Obviously, it was a different regime, but um, I, I think you probably know the psyche of Ole Miss fans better than, certainly better than I do. What is this like for them right now to have kind of gotten a taste of the big time with those two seasons and those wins over Alabama, and now it seems like it's all coming crashing down? Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating dynamic there. I mean, I got to say, so I was around a decade ago, and a lot of those assistants were on, on Ed Ogeron's staff. Now, what's interesting is they were in on some big-time kids, but they never got them, you know. And so it's easy to look back cynically and say, you know, the best players they got were three-star guys who there wasn't some big recruiting frenzy around. And so when it came to the end, they weren't able to, to beat away some of the bigger SEC powerhouse programs. And then, you know, Freeze came back uh, after he had some success as a small school head coach then at Arkansas State. And they were beating, you know, everybody for some of these guys. And so that raised suspicion. And I, I remember going back to the one big, really big recruit Ole Miss was on when I was around them was Joe McKnight. And he was a Louisiana kid who wanted to get away from Louisiana, but USC and LSU were the other two schools. And I remember Ogeron announcing to the staff, if we get this kid, we know we're getting investigated. And obviously they didn't get the kid. Um, But the point being, if you do something that most people around college football don't think you are in line to get, it's going to raise suspicions to another level. And I think ultimately that's what happened. Now, What's going to come out of this is the feeling of kind of aha, a gotcha vibe. And I think for Ole Miss fans, to get back to your question, you know, I think it, it, it didn't take them long to feel like, hey, this is this is our new normal, you know, and we've seen this at other places, whether it was at Oregon or Baylor and TCU or all of a sudden or even, you know, in their same state. Remember, Mississippi State also you know, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and they were a top five team and they, you know, they've since gotten some five star guys as well. So I think when you have that, people are like, OK, now all those kids, they don't remember when we sucked those. And that's, you know, I do subscribe to that. You know, for a lot of kids, they don't remember, you know, for instance, when Baylor was really terrible. They don't remember them before Art Bryles. So to expect that they're seen on a level playing field with Texas or something else 
you know, that doesn't seem out of the realm. But again, for this old Miss fan base that, you know, for so long just loved that they were great about the tailgate and football was an afterthought or they were just kind of shrugged their shoulders at it. You know, Freeze led them to back-to-back New Year's Six Bowls. And, you know, they were getting – and they're still getting big-time guys. And I think that – so for that, it feels like the media is out to get them. Why are you pointing the finger at us when we, we see all these things on social media of recruits going other places with pictures on Instagram with, their, with new cars and, and things like that? You know, you're absolutely right. This all, this day was set in motion four years ago when Hugh Freeze, I believe had only been there a year, and signs a top 10, maybe even top five class that had three really big names in it in uh, Laquan Treadwell, Robert Kim Dice, and um, Laramie Tunzel. And by the way, when does that ever work out where those three guys are five star kids and they all turned out to be first round picks? Um, I, got, I remember I was at SI at the time. I remember getting an anonymous email the day either the, on signing day or the day after signing day from somebody claiming to have the goods mm-hmm. on, you know, uh, on, on how much they paid for one of the kids. And, and you would hear that stuff all the time. Obviously, this did not lead to them finding any proof of that in particular. Uh, and in fact, you know, as of a year ago, when the initial notice of allegations came out, people looked at it and went, you know, this is kind of piddly stuff for the most part. You know, the amounts of money involved were small and, uh, you know, it didn't seem like they were going to get hammered for that. No, it didn't feel like the level of cheating that people were, were whispering and maybe not so much whispering about uh, that was coming up. By the way, when you said that, it, it dawned on me about the anonymous letter. I remember getting one when I was at ESPN when Ron Zook had beaten Notre Dame for like Aurelius Ben and um, I want to say Martez Wilson. There were a lot of whispers about that too. There was a lot of whispers and, you know, there was a lot of crazy allegations that came. I felt like they came from some, like one of the people I was dealing with was a Notre Dame fan, it turned out. And there wasn't anything substantial that that the NCAA went into some big, you know, Illinois kind of came and went under its own own momentum. Well, I think, you know, in general, I mean, it's true. Like anytime it's so it's so rare that an Ole Miss or a Illinois uh, beats out a Alabama or Ohio State for a recruit, a big time recruit. Then when it happens, everybody just assumes something nefarious is going on. Do you? um, I'm not naive enough to think it doesn't happen, but I don't go in, you know, just with the automatic assumption by any means that, well, they must have cheated. Maybe I'm not being cynical enough, but no, I don't. Do you? Uh, It depends. That's not like there are certain circumstances where I can say, oh, you know, I could see why this person ends up there. But a lot of times some of the places that have gotten caught cheating, you know, you look at a lot of these places are SEC schools in the past. They are schools that like, you know, you know, Alabama's had big issues. Auburn's are certainly had big issues. And you don't you don't bat an eye if they if they have a top ten recruit now, right? I mean, the most salacious recruiting scandal of my time covering this was Alabama and Albert Means. Correct. Now Alabama wasn't the power at that given time. Alabama wasn't winning like they are now by any stretch of the imagination. But that was a really really ugly uh, scandal, really ugly period, and to this day we have not had. I mean, we had the Cam Newton accusation, but we have not had a school sanctioned for something like paying $180,000 for a kid. Now, that being said, 
like I said, the, the first wave of the Ole Miss allegations were not, nothing was too eye-opening. Then Laramie Tunzel, draft night, that happens. It causes the NCAA to, gives, basically gives the NCAA an excuse to go in and start knocking down more doors and asking more questions. And this time, they, did, they didn't come up with anything related to Laramie Tunzel, but they did come up with some goods, and most notably the fact that two Ole Miss boosters, and this was arranged by an Ole Miss staffer, paid, I believe the amount was between thirteen dollars and $15,000 to a player who didn't end up signing there. And that's going to raise people's attention. Yeah, so let's get into this part of it because this is the part where I think it's going to get really interesting, especially interesting. The player in question and, and you know, Rivals.com has, you know, if you want to read it, you can get into it. Um, the player in question ended up in an arch rival school um, and actually tweeted out an image of the Joker from Batman kind of laughing maniacally in the wake of all this. Um, again, that player has immunity. Now rivals is make is, has, has some pretty strong allegations back against this player, uh, tied to his school. And if that goes further, um, I'm curious to see how it's going to be handled because, you know, does immunity mean, you know, what exactly does the NCA view immunity and how this would, would be seen? Because it would look like a very hypocritical stance. Okay, let's talk about immunity for a second because it's a relatively – from my understanding, it has been used from time to time over the years as an enforcement tool because the NCA, you know, they're working a, a, with so many handicaps. You know, they can't subpoena people. They can't compel people to testify that aren't, you know, currently in college but this is a tool that the new enforcement staff, the new enforcement director is using, and it's basically how they got Ole Miss. It's just to say to a player, uh, th- this was, I believe, used in the Louisville basketball thing as well, because the kid who got paid by Ole Miss should be ineligible to play anywhere because of that. But they're going to say, you're granted immunity, you won't be punished for this if you will be forthcoming and tell us about what happened with Ole Miss. And they did that with another kid, too. Um, it's a bit controversial. Now, it's it's going to get more controversial if the rival story is proven accurate. All right, well, you keep bringing it up. What is the rival story? So the rival story alleges uh, that this recruit's mom was... Uh, let me read it so I'm not going to be... Uh, does it name the recruit? It does. It does name the recruit. I ask that because I know the name of the recruit too, but I'm not comfortable saying it. Unless I am not awesome. either. I mean, pretty much, I think anyone who follows SEC football has known the name of this recruit and this story well before yesterday. Okay, so to clarify, this is Rivals Ole Miss site, rebelgrove.com. Uh, the reporter in question is Neil McCready, who's been in the business for probably 30 years or at least 20 plus years as a former, former columnist who's covered a bunch of SEC programs. Uh, the, the recruit in question is now a linebacker at our travel, Mississippi State, Leo Lewis. Ole Miss, per multiple sources, possesses a recording and, and has given the SEC a copy of Lewis's mother asking Ole Miss for money and detailing incentives she received from other programs, including Mississippi State. Uh, if that is true, then the SEC and the NCAA, I think, is going to have... It's going to be a very awkward it's, – it's going to get even more awkward there. Let's say that. Reminds me of that around the time of that Albert Means case. I mean when Mike Sly first got the SEC as commissioner, he 
half, I want to say half the schools were on probation and several had served postseason bans recently. And he got up there and made a big pledge to, you know, the conference is going to clean up the conference and nobody will be on probation five years from now. And that almost happened. I believe one school was at that point. Uh, and that was very, and then, you know, you go back before that to the days of the Southwest Conference. Now, I'm not saying we're heading that way, but, you know, it can get really ugly when schools are ratting each other out. And uh, Well, think about the Phil Fulmer, Alabama stuff. Yes. I mean, that's that's the, mo- the, the, the biggest example I can remember of a, you know, guy turning state's evidence, if you will. I mean, he was their secret witness uh, who ended up getting sued. There was lawsuits and... I was in SEC media days once that Phil Fulmer didn't go to because if he crossed state lines, he was going to get subpoenaed. It was nuts. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. Um, and you could see that beginning to unfold here if, if, like you said, if people start accusing other people of things. And um, but, but I don't know that that's going to happen from the NCAA. You know, I mean, if, it's clear that the NCAA here, and I'm sure Ole Miss fans will say it's a witch hunt, but they knew something was going on at Ole Miss. They needed to prove it, and they were willing to give these other these players immunity to be able to do so. And while I fully understand why Ole Miss fans would cry foul, it still happened. I mean, they're they're guilty. It happened. You know, regardless of whether this happens at other schools, it happened there. Right. And they're going to pay the price. And the column I wrote. So, like you said, there was a. I've never seen a school announce anything quite like this where they taped a, a video message where they're sitting at a what looks like a press conference, but there's no press, with the president, the AD, and Hugh Freeze. It looked a little bit like a hostage video. I'm not going to lie. And so I, this was clearly done to show that the president and the AD have Hugh Freeze's back. But Hugh Freeze in this report is not – while not directly implicated in paying players by any means – uh, I mean, they went ahead and first of all, they charged the program with lack of institutional control, which is pretty much the worst thing you can hear. And they charged him with this is legislation that was put in a few years ago. I've never really seen it used on this scale where basically he's guilty of having assistant coaches break the rules. He's guilty of, you know, not reining his staff in, I guess would be the way to put it. And he can be suspended for that. The, the the school, they're very adamant they're going to fight that charge. You know, they're going to try to get Hugh Freeze uh, off the hook there. I don't think that will be successful. I don't see how he survives this. It is, we have seen head coaches take the fall for less than this. This is a 21 violations at this point. There are staff members, I mean, it's it's straight out of like the movie Blue Chips. You've got staff. Well, if it was straight out of the movie Blue Chips, they would have more damning stuff than this. Well, it's they not. It's not a huge bag full of cash being dropped off at the kid's house, but it is straight up boosters paying players, and uh, we just you don't see a coach survive something like that. And the and even if the school, you know, I got in tweets saying you're, you're underestimating how much the fans, and the administration support him. Well, that may be true right now, but let's remember they're coming off a five and seven season. I don't think this season is going to go particularly well when they already know they're banned from the postseason. Maybe let's say they go six and six. Let's all right. Let's say they go seven and five. Seven and five. How much fan support? Now he's two years removed from the Sugar Bowl, mm-hmm. and at that point they could have more sanctions. I mean, just because they ban themselves for one year doesn't mean the NCAA won't still 
tack on another year or tack on well, scholarship that's, reduction. See, that's where the most teeth could come in because Ole Miss is kind of unique in the way it's set up where the chancellor, who, by the way, is really new. He's only been there, I think, at the most two years, maybe even less than that. They, he has more of the power than like, the, like a board of regents at some other place. So what I wondered is if, if the NCA tries to force old Mrs. Hand, because they can give him a show cause, but when you get a show cause, it doesn't mean you're fired. It just means you're harder to hire. So if they had said, if you get rid of Hugh Freeze and show you are making a change from this regime, we will not we will not hit you harder with scholarship sanctions. We will not hit you with a three-year postseason ban. Instead, we will hit you with a two-year postseason ban. Would that change the way Ole Miss – because Ole Miss then, I, the way this – I suspect, and I'm not staring at Hugh Freeze's contract, but would be I think would be able to get out from under whatever contract it has a pay obligation in the wake of this. So if that was the case – then it will become more enticing for them to fire him. If not, and let's say they're going to get hit with a two-year postseason ban regardless, you know, I don't know what Ole Miss would do. Right, so as of today, they could not fire him for cause. They have to let the whole process play out. I mean, that could be the next six months. Yeah, I mean, well, it it could be longer than that by the time they get a hearing. Right, but it's it's probably not going to be 10 months is my point. I don't know. I mean, these things drag on, and and the school can help drag it on if you, um, you know, let's say the hearing is in July. I don't think the school's going to want to drag it on that long because remember, they don't want to go into another recruiting cycle without under a dark cloud. Well, we'll find out how much they want to fight because the the hearings in July, then they probably don't get the final sanctions till September October. At which point they could appeal it, which would drag it on even further, or they could say. You know, we give up. We're not buying right. the decision anymore. to appeal is not going to be freezes. It's going to be the chancellor. So, and and I'm saying that if they hit freeze with another penalty, and they could hit him with a show cause, they could do any number of things to make it hard for them to retain him. I just don't think at that point they keep fighting for him, unless Shea Patterson comes out and turns into, uh, you know, Marcus Mariota overnight, and they're like. Well, lead, nine and one, and in the top ten at the well, time. Well, let's say all right. So let's say they they go eight and four or better. Does that change how you feel then? What they how they respond? No, I think the only scenario where they would basically move heaven and earth to keep him is if they are basically you know if they weren't banned from the postseason, they would be in the New Year six of the playoff next year, and everybody's gaga about Ole Miss football again. And they think he's the savior and they need to keep him. Uh, I think you could maybe get away with that over an, a pay-for-play scandal. But, I mean, let's not forget, seven time, national champion coach, seven-time Big Ten champ coach Jim Tressel got fired. But they had tattoos. emails documenting directly. I mean, what he got fired for was less, but he had no wiggle room in that of lying to the NCAA. The stuff that happened at Ohio State was less. Yes. He was directly implicated you're right i mean he i mean it was it's different and by the way you know like again you have a fifteen thousand dollar you know event here it's like some of the stuff they're you know they're alleging here these rebel rags and buying you know giving them you know free t-shirts and sweatshirts 
I mean, that's that's running in line with the same of, you know, the value of, hey, we're giving you discounts on tattoos or whatever all the heck that was, too. I mean, you go down the list, right? You go down in history. Think of some of the, like, really accomplished coaches that couldn't survive something like this. Pat well, Jim Beheim seems to survive. Well, okay, let's – I'll say that in a second. I meant in football, Pat Dye, uh, Don James at Washington who won a national championship, um, uh, Danny Ford at Clemson won a national championship – I, I agree. I mean, for some reason, Jim Beheim is immune is, is not um, somehow not held to that standard. Rick Pitino is somehow not held to that standard. But those guys are Hall of Fame coaches. Hugh Freeze is not. Hugh Freeze is a guy who's had some success and beat Nick Saban twice and won a Sugar Bowl. I, I just don't think he's going to be afforded that kind of cushion. So, you know, I think what this means for Ole Miss football going forward is they're going to have to hit the restart button again. Uh, probably after this coming season, which has got to be extremely frustrating because this was a, this was the, I mean, it was only a couple years worth of glory, but it was the most glory they'd enjoyed in a while. Uh, I have a question for you. You and I have talked about this somewhat, and you've talked about it probably more on your own about it started with Penn State, but it's going to Baylor. And I saw somebody comment on this, not on my time, it popped up on my timeline about. The NCA will hammer Ole Miss for this, but what? Will, you know, but the NCA is afraid to wade into the Baylor issue, right? And the AD at Baylor, who presided over that, is now going to be an FBS AD at another school. Do you have a problem with that system of justice? I would say that that system of justice is is uh, is distorted and bizarre. But I also totally understand why it is the way it is. I mean, it's this is what we're dealing with here at Ole Miss is a straight up traditional violation of NCAA extra benefit rules. You know, once they got the goods, they could proceed pretty easily. What happened at Baylor is a lot messier. Now, I do think we are, you know, the, the indications we got during the last wave of Baylor headlines is that they are going to pursue some sort of extra benefits case against Baylor and and with the idea that these players who got to circumvent the usual judicial process there were afforded an extra benefit um but uh but I don't think you're going to see them go Penn State again where they just come in and bulldoze the place over what is basically moral objections that that is just such a harder thing for them to do I mean they they got sued the heck out of that at Penn State and had to overturn half the sanctions. So, and then you're thinking about the Baylor AD. I mean that that is crazy. <laughs> I mean, we actually he should said not this, be working at he should not be working at a, a college. No, he should like, not. And I don't think he would be, except that this is a very unusual university where Jerry Falwell. Is yeah, but it's university. still yeah, but Stu, it's not an NAI school. It still falls under the NCA jurisdiction. Well, you know, what could still happen? I mean, it, it's probably a long ways away from happening. And by the way, we had Dennis Dodd on this podcast who said he thought that uh, those text messages and the one that implicated Ian McCaw would cause cost them their chance of, of getting FBS membership. And then like 10 days later, it was announced that they got their waiver and they're moving up to FBS. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only way that disgrace. would happen. It is a disgrace. Yeah, it is. And I've heard from fans who are, you know, embarrassed that they hired Ian McCaw, especially after what came out in those text messages. The only way that the so you're saying you think the NCA should step in 
and say, you can't employ this guy. You can't employ this guy. You want to put a show cause on some coach who paid somebody? How about the guy who presided over that shit? I mean, so I'm that sorry. could that could happen. I think the chances are slim. Well, that's well, that's pretty. But I think up they that. could step in. I mean, it's going to take a long time. But if they go through this investigation, should you know what? If you're if you're in that case, I mean, that school, the university, clearly has no shame if they hired him and said what they said. But if you're the NCAA and you you preside over them. You have no backbone if you don't get in, the, get in the middle of it. So I don't disagree. I just don't know the avenue by which they would do that. They would have to basically go into Baylor, you know, do this investigation, and then in the course of that, with the extra benefits and whatnot, charge uh, Ian McCaw with unethical conduct, which is, which certainly, is certainly justified. Which is certainly within the realm. And then that would go to the Committee on Infractions, and the Committee on Infractions would put a show cause on him. And then, and then uh, Liberty... But I don't even know if that would like cause him to get fired. I mean, at that point, I think Liberty would have to go. Like, if it's a show cause against a coach, they can make it impossible for you to keep him by saying he's not allowed to recruit for three years. That's what happened with Bruce Pearl. But with an AD, what can they do? All they can do is say, uh, you have to come before the committee and show cause why you should be able to employ him. I don't know how that you there's any sort of like AD powers they could strip him of. That would force Liberty to fire him. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's an area where the NCA needs to needs to stand up and actually show some courage and show some backbone to do the right thing. Because at this point, then you could pretty much hire anybody as an AD and justify it as well. They don't need to recruit, but they you know they can still work back channel meetings and different things like that. Jim Trestle was named the president of an NCA university while he still had a show cause hovering over him, and I don't. You know, I got less issue with yeah. Jim Trestle's events because people were not harmed in the way that they were on, on Ian McCaw's watch. Well, we have talked about that on here many times about how Sandusky reset the bar and suddenly like the Nevin Shapiro Miami stuff didn't seem as important. Um, you know, frankly, there's a good deal of the population, though I still don't think it's the majority, although it is the majority on Twitter, which is not representative of the population that thinks that all of the NCAA pay for play rules are antiquated and the kids should just be able to get whatever the market dictates, in which case they would say that everything in this Ole Miss case is trivial and outdated and whatnot. I mean, we've definitely seen some cases over the years. Like, I remember about five or six years ago, Boise State got put on probation, literally because kids who were coming in as freshmen but hadn't started school yet were sleeping on the floors of the current players, and that was deemed an extra benefit. I think we could all agree that was a colossal waste of time and not um, having your priorities in the right place. And if this whole four-year old Miss investigation had turned up that a guy got $200 here and $200 there, I think everybody would be rolling their eyes too. But that thirteen dollars to $15,000 one is significant enough. That is the biggest you know, thing there. It's the biggest thing there, and, it, and then you take that and couple it with all these other maybe smaller ones, although a couple of them did involve like $2,500 uh, things, but... At the end of the day, there was, they were able to show a huge pattern of, you know, disregard incident after and yeah, of like staff members completely disregarding rules and making sure these kids got taken care of, and they probably didn't even encompass every every time that that happened. Right? These are the ones they were able to prove, and so at that point, I don't care how you feel about the rules; those are the rules, and they are just blatantly violating them. Yes. Okay, we're gonna end it there for this week. We just wanted to address this pressing topic. We'll come back with your more standard 
uh, audibles next week. Next week is the NFL Combine, so we want to get into that uh, with some guests that we have coming up. As always, you should email the Audible at theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and you should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We will see you next time.